0: Episode 32 of Flying Podcast sees me back up in York to interview Peter Davis. Peter is an instructor on gyrocopters for the gyrocopter experience. He runs their Preston franchise. And quite by chance, when I was reading about gyrocopters, I came across Peter's name, and I was fascinated to read about his experiences in the world of aviation. His flying pedigree goes way back to the early days of hang gliding and microlighting here in the UK, and so I thought he'd make a good candidate to appear on the podcast. I managed to catch up with Pete at a launch event uh, up at the Gyaracopter Experience HQ at Ruffeth. And here's what he had to say. A good afternoon, Pete. Good afternoon, Steve. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Good. How did you start out in your aviation career? It
1: goes back a long, long time ago. Um, basically, I learned to fly in Zambia. My parents were working out there, um, There was a company aircraft and the uh, company pilot had an instructor rating and he offered to teach my brother and I to fly. So we both jumped at the chance and uh, we flew out to Africa and uh, both did our PPLs in 21 days and then came back here with ambient licenses to convert them into UK licenses. Okay. How did you get into rotary? Ah, Rotary... I actually started off um, in two ways. I've, I've always uh, had an interest in uh, radio-controlled aircraft, and I was flying model helicopters right from the beginning, um, back in, in basically late 70s. And I also got a job as an apprentice in, as a helicopter engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've always had a, a yearning for rotary. And then later in my life, I came across um, an opportunity to fly gyros in America and uh, helicopters full size, and uh, jumped at that opportunity and went over there. What's the market like for gyros in America? Do they have certified auto gyros like we do here? It's a different market, it's more of a kit built, home built market than uh, we have as a factory built aircraft. They haven't developed the factory built aircraft marketplace possibly because of liability issues, I don't know. But they're mainly kit-built, home-built, yep. rather than factory-built.
0: Like it used to be here? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so you're Blackpool as an apprentice helicopter engineer. What sort of flying are you doing at that time, in helicopters?
1: Um, no, I was used to get uh, guinea-pigged into being uh, ballast weight on some of the test flights. Yep. Um, always enjoyed sort of uh, being a, a guinea pig and... Uh, Enjoyed flying rotor in in the aircraft, wanting to fly them. Yeah. But uh, at that age, I couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided that uh, there were other other ways of going airborne, and that was uh, initially hang gliding.
0: Yeah.
1: Which uh, I used to thoroughly enjoy because uh, up where I am, you've got Parlock and Pendle and the Lake District, mm-hmm. lots of places to go hang gliding, yep. and it's probably one of the the nearest forms to what I call natural flying or to nature that I've ever come across where you you can actually be in formation with other birds yes and watching hawks and things below you're hovering watching their prey
0: fascinating yes I've seen them as you drive up the m6 towards the lakes and there's some hills either side yep. there and you can see the paragliders hang gliders and yes. you can see the buzzards I presume they are up there yeah incredible incredible uh, so you were hang gliding mm-hmm. for for how long were you doing that do you think well, it,
1: it developed because what happened was uh, we were hang gliding um, and on the days that we couldn't hang glide, um, we would kick our heels and get bored mm-hmm. uh, and then someone decided to put engines on hang gliders yeah. um, and I went down to Wellsbourne to one of the first um, meetings of the British Minimum Aircraft and uh, a number of people were like Jerry Breen and Steve Hunt and the Baker brothers were flying these aircraft. And I thought, now there's an idea. Mm-hmm. So I then came back after that and started building my own trike. I built my own trike, put it on my hang glider wing. And on days um, when we couldn't fly, and there was people like Bob Calvert um, used to do the same thing. We, we all went away and built our own trikes, put them on our wings. When we couldn't hang glide, we'd go, we'd go microlighting.
0: Yeah, as it is now known. Yes. What sort of year was this?
1: This would have been uh, the late seventies, early eighties. We were right at the beginning of micro lighting. Yeah. Um, the whole industry was was formating and we were we were basically like going back to the Wright brothers. Yeah. You know, build yes. it, fly it, crash it.
0: Yeah. Self-taught. Yes. Yeah. That's, how did your career progress after that? Did you get into training, Michael? Hikes? Well, what, what then happened
1: was uh, having literally survived that era because there was an awful lot of people who didn't survive that era, I then built uh, another aircraft which was based on a, a, a Manta fledgling wing which became a, a pterodactyl um, and got into the instructional business um we i went on to the first instructor course that the bmaa ever did and then ran the second instructor course uh and set up an operation based at blackboard airport it was the factually the first instructional operation for microlights ever done at a commercial airport yeah it was quite quite something at that time
0: they wouldn't appreciate your company
1: now i don't think <laughs> No, but uh, it's it, it. But the industry has changed. Oh yes, you know the aircraft nowadays are more like light aircraft mm-hmm. than they were then. Yeah. Um, but saying that, uh, I then went on to set up an operation uh, with um, Shadows uh, out of uh, Coventry, and we worked very well out of Coventry, uh, teaching people to fly, and we had uh, a different circuits to the fixed wing aircraft, and worked very well. Okay. And I believe you are—you became a microlight test pilot for the BMAA? Yes, yes. I was on, on the committee uh, after sort of um, a few years of flying. Um, I approached the chairman at that time, who was Steve Hunt, and said I was just a grassroots pilot. So how can I help? So I explained to him how I'd come through and... Uh, Know, where my interests were, which was you know developing aircraft and testing them, um, and uh, eventually was invited onto the committee as the BMAA 's uh, chief test pilot and uh, was simultaneously also asked to do the development work of the Shadow Microlite, which at the time was quite an advanced aircraft. Um, I was flying um, an aerobatic or actually a pilot for an aerobatic microlight at the time, which was the Phantom, a single-seat aircraft, stressed to plus 9.9 to min- and minus 6.6, which we could never, ever achieve, <laughs> but it just gave an indication and a feeling of safety because yep. the aeroplane was that strong. Yep. And it was. It was aerobatic, although aerobatics were not legal at that time. Uh, still not. Um, so a combination of sort of my background of flying, uh, my experiences, brought me on to the BMEA um, flight test committee and uh, was uh, on that for a couple of years before my commitment elsewhere meant I had to, to drop it to um, look after my business. Okay. Were you competing at all? Yes, I was... Uh, we started to get involved with the competitions, uh, there was the National League, Norfolk Air Race, which I won uh, once, um, and was involved with the first um, world air games, or sorry, first World Microlite Championships um, in Milan in France, which was a again with a shadow, an interesting experience. And uh, was uh, luckily enough to come forth in that. Brilliant. Really? That was in
0: the 80s? Yes, that was in the 80s. Yep. What sort of games were they? If you fly in the shadow, what, what were you having to do? Was it navigating? There was uh,
1: several different tasks. There was uh, spot landing, where you would uh, climb to a certain height, a, a fixed height, shut your engine down, and have to land within a certain number of boxes. Um, the... There was a center line which had maximum score and then outside of that the scores decreased. Uh, there was a minimum takeoff distance and minimum landing distance which was a bit like trying to fly um, within a badm- badminton court, uh, you had to elect a box to take off, um, clear a set height and then land and stop in the shortest distance as possible. Yeah. There was uh, navigation exercises where the goal was to go and take photographs of certain tasks, certain points, and report back. Um, there was navigation exercises where we were limited in the amount of fuel we carried. So you would then fly out as long as you dare on a predetermined track, take a photograph of that point where you turned, and fly back, hopefully without running out of fuel. <laughs> and finally, there was uh, pure speed a circuit. Um, and that one I won.
0: Brilliant. It's
1: quite a good machine, in the Shadow? There's still a few around, aren't there? It's, it was an aircraft that, uh, w- when it was originally designed, we thought it might have a 10-year a life maximum. But looking at it now, mm-hmm. uh, we're 25 years on, yeah. and it's still flying, and it still has characteristics that other aircraft don't. It was very, very advanced at its time. So at what stage then did you... Uh get back into the rotary
0: world and discover gyrocopters
1: that was basically uh it came up at the um, michaelite championships the world championships the american team manager asked me if i'd be interested in distributing his ha- his aircraft and uh i looked at the airplane which was uh very typically um, very typically american um like a quicksilver mx and i said you have to look at the european market of what we are flying here mm-hmm. showed in the shadow and said you know this is the sort of t- way we're going we're not in the original primitive well fairly primitive slow flying aircraft he then pulled out a leaflet out of his briefcase and said how about these and it was an autogyro and i said yes i'd love that that looks yeah. like great fun so I didn't progress that at any really at that point, uh, because we were competing, um, but the next year, I was looking for a new product. Uh, got in contact with the company, and uh, got into a race then, uh, between myself and Mainair to sign up the contract to import them into the U.K. Um, I jumped on a, on a flight, went over there. Looked at the aircraft, flew in the aeroplane, and thought, yep, I like this. Um, signed up the contract to distribute them in the UK. And then went to learn to fly both autogyros and helicopters while I was over in America. And then came back and converted my instructor rating from microlights into a gyroplane instructor rating. Interesting. What, what was the gyrocopter that uh, you imported? It was the Air Command, okay. um, which was. Uh, a kit-built um, aircraft, very nicely marketed and packaged, but uh, it was uh, a fairly short-lived um, aircraft in the UK because there were a number of accidents with them. We were as extremely successful at selling them. We sold sixty in twelve months. Wow! Well, so eighteen months, that we sold sixty aircraft, and the problem was there was only one full-time instructor in the country, and that was myself. So, um, a lot of people went out and were trying to fly them themselves. And uh, a gyroplane is not an aeroplane you do that with. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of accidents and fatalities because of that. And the aircraft was then grounded in the UK, which put me out of business. And what year was that in? 88 through to... Ninety-one is when I started when the gyros. Okay. Um, the end of it was actually uh, the start of the first Kuwaiti war, which was 1991, I believe. That was the last aircraft I sold. I actually sold two aircraft to the Kuwaiti government to be used for counterinsurgents work. Is that right? Yes. <laughs>
0: as kits or ready, ready uh,
1: they had me assemble them so they could be shipped out as diplomatic baggage <laughs> <laughs> fascinating so that's 91 when your business that was 91 yes stopped basically yes where do you go from there at that point basically a um, very difficult position to be in because the bank closes on you you are trying to pay off overdrafts mm-hmm. um, you don't want to be made bankrupt and uh, I managed to uh, sell off enough assets to stop myself going into bankruptcy, but the it left a bad taste in my mouth for a while, and um, in effect gave up gave up flying for a little while yep until I recovered um, Then I was approached by an Indian industrialist who i taught to fly in shadow uh, a few years before. And this, um, in 1992, he contacted me and asked me, would I be interested in, actually, 19, yes, or 1992, would I be interested in putting a team together to, to race around the world? I took about half a second to yeah. say yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Flying in. We, we hadn't decided at the time. Uh, my, my task was to find the most suitable aeroplane to uh, race around the world. And uh, we could either go for a single piston engine, we'd go for a turbine. Um, and we elected um, to go for the Cessna Conquest 2, uh, twin turboprop aircraft. Um, and we did the race in 94 and i spent basically 93 in america um, sourcing the aircraft having the airplane stripped down re-sprayed um the nick my sponsor's name or the, the guy the industrialist uh, vj singhania his nickname was tiger mm-hmm. so we actually had the aircraft uh, sprayed in tiger stripes and we had a okay. And a, a um, guy airbrushed a tiger's face onto the nose. It looked absolutely wonderful. Excellent. excellent. And uh, we had the engines specially built by Garrett's. Uh, we had uh, the um, Macaulay props specially tweaked for the race. And then we did the race, and we won. Uh, for which we all got uh, awarded the FAI gold medal. Uh, and became um, official Earth Rounders, as they're called, where we are now listed as uh, people who have raced around the world or or gone around the world in the the name of sport, sport, aviation, and adventure. What was the format of that race? Um, The format was a system of um, legs where each aircraft is given a reference speed, which is based on its um, cruise speed. And cleverly, um, the organizers arranged it so that you're taking your cruise speed uh, as to what was in the flight manual, as to what was the aircraft capability, which for some reason the Americans tell little porky lies. They always over exaggerate what the airplane will do. So, part of my task in '93. Was to fly a number of different airplanes to get an assessment, and one of those was uh, an amazing airplane, which was the uh, Piaggio Zavanti mm-hmm. which uh, was one of the only airplanes that basically did exactly what it said on the package. Yeah. And um, when I had VJ fly it, he he couldn't actually believe the numbers. He said, "No, no there's something wrong with the ASI. It's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong." Um, and the the problem was that we couldn't. Um, get enough tankage in the aircraft to allow us to do the legs we want so unfortunately we then went for the conquest which was again the nearest to be able to fly its uh, said speed Mm -hmm. so basically if you said the cruise speed was uh, 320 knots and you flew a leg of uh, 1500 miles and within that leg you only achieved 300 knots then you have a penalty yeah. If you achieved 330 knots, then you're in a bonus. So if an aircraft that could have fly its, uh, book, its manual speed or its book speed or greater mm-hmm. was more of an advantage. Okay. And that was in, was that 94?
0: That was 94, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, what, you're back in the UK after that? You're you uh, back in aviation there? Uh,
1: I, I was in a little bit of a land in 94, uh, 95 came back from the race um, and I was back in the UK for a week. A, a gentleman uh, was wanting to fly a shadow from London to Beijing. And because um, of my reputation with uh, Vijay who had flown uh, a shadow from London to um, Bombay from my instruction... And uh, Brian Milton, going back a few years before that, who basically flown to Australia. Mm-hmm. And Brian then later then flew around the world in a, 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 a microlight. Yep. Um, having sort of had that sort of background of, um, or pedigree of uh, customers, I was contacted um, by James Edmonds um, to be involved with his flight to Beijing. And um, we had planned to have a vehicle travel on the ground following the aircraft. And uh, at one of our planning meetings, I said, well, why don't we have something like an Antonov AN-2 that will fly at very similar speeds, has the, the load carrying capability, we can carry fuel, we can carry spares, plus all the backup team he needed. So on the basis of that, um, it was arranged that when I came back from the the round-the-world air race, I would then go out to Slovakia and do a conversion onto an Antonov 2. And that Antonov would then be flown back to the UK and then out to Belarusia accompanying James Edmund. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did that, then delivered the aircraft back down to... Belarusia. Sorry, from Belarusia back into Slovakia. Came back here and then uh, was involved with the Paris Air Show with a uh, shadow. So it was a quite a hectic year. It was ninety four, but great fun. What an adventure. Gr- great fun. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Something you just won't ever forget. Yeah. And an opportunity that very few people get to have. Sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I believe you competed in the the first World Air Games as well. Uh yes. That was the following year um, I was approached by the organizers of the um, round-the-world race, the 94 race, uh, were then approached by the FAI to do the first world air games, or the, the long-distance navigation part of the first world air games. And they didn't have a navigator for the British team. And uh, I was then um, teamed up with a gentleman who had a Mooney 252 and uh, we then flew up to Iceland and uh, basically flew from Iceland down through Europe into Spain across to Italy and then along the Med into um, Israel and Jordan up into Turkey up uh, to the Black Sea and then back round to the Med again, um, in the course of uh, two weeks, and uh, again came fourth in that in the First World Air Games. So again, you know, it was a, a privilege to be asked uh, and get so get such a good score for for the UK. Brilliant. Uh, and what time did you get back into gyrocopters? Gyrocopters basically. Um, I've come back to fairly recently because uh, until about five years ago, there wasn't the equipment as I was comfortable with that uh, was reliable.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so I came back into gyros when the uh, Rotorsport started to bring in the MT series because I could see there was uh, a new market Forming and my skill set that I had for many many years would be useful to be able to share that with people. Yeah. And um, the ELA was an airplane that I'd looked at, which was uh, being brought into the UK at the time. And I thought, yes, this is the sort of aircraft that you know I'd like to f- to fly again. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the ELA is still. Waiting for its certification and uh, Rotorsport got theirs through. Um, so ever since then, I've sort of been back into the gyroplane instructional industry. Okay, there's only a couple of
0: gyroplanes that are certified now. Is the well, gyro. Well, we
1: have um, the Autogyro. Um, which is the German company yeah. uh, marketed in the UK under router Sport, yeah. and we have the Magni, um, the M16, and now the new Orion M24 um, released in the UK, and hopefully the ELA might come in in 2011.
0: And the ELA is similar to the MTO3?
1: The ELA is uh, very, very similar. Um, there are stories that um, the M.T. was a copy of the E.L.A. Um, they look very similar. And the E.L.A.'s made where? In Spain, In Spain. Spanish, Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> which, okay. is, which is nice because that's where Jarros originated from with Juan de la Sevilla, Yeah, and um, they have got an aircraft there which flies very well. Okay, uh, and currently
0: you're with the gyrocopter Experience. How long have you been with them?
1: Yes, uh, I've uh, been with the GyroCrafter experience virtually from the beginning. Um, I was invited to join them because of my credentials, basically. Um, And it gives us a unique marketing opportunity to be able to have several sites around the country, all under the same banner, uh, and all teaching to the same
0: standards, which is important. Okay, Uh, and where next? You have other interests outside of aviation now? Ah,
1: yes, yes. Uh, my primary interest, uh, because I instruct part-time, is actually um, is uh, biofuels. Uh, I have some interest in Costa Rica where we're creating um, fruit. We're taking fruit waste and creating ethanol from it. But in the four, five years now that we've been developing the process, we've now... Developed several other products from it, and we're now at the stage where we've basically taken what was a concept to a lab um, experiment um, to a pilot plant, which has given us an awful lot of experience on how to handle materials, mm-hmm. to a stage now where we're looking for investment to take us to the first industrial plant, and uh, from there we can see the market being global very quickly yeah and in terms of your training you're going to continue general instruction yes yes time? i'm uh, hopefully renewing my um fic rating my uh, flight instructor course rating and my uh, flight instructor examiner rating sometime in the next 12 months so that i can then take my go back to the have my original credentials that i used to have and do instructor courses for people instructing instructors is very very rewarding Mm -hmm. and yes you know the whole idea is to carry on doing what i enjoy doing and what i have a skill set and an experience set of uh that can be benefit to other people
0: brilliant well that's a, a very entertaining story great adventures there thank you very much for sharing those with us absolutely my
1: pleasure thank you for taking the
0: time pleasure peter davis of the gyrocopter experience well i had a great day up at ruffeth as well as chatting to pete there were plenty of gyrocopters to see including the latest certified type that being the magnigyro m24 orion the world of gyrocopters seems to be developing quite quickly and uh, there's certainly lots of interest in the newest developments anyway as i said a great day and great having a chat to pete and the other gyrocopter pilots for those of you that uh, love your aviation podcasts, there's another uh, UK podcast available. It's called Flaps Podcast, and it is really very good. Uh, it's superbly produced and uh, is well worth a listen. So if you haven't found it already, give it a go. Have a search for uh, Flaps Podcast on Google, um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, that's it for episode 32 of Flying Podcast. If you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email me at uh, steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon.